Psalm 34, which is on page 561 in the Church Bible. I will extol the Lord in, at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants, no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Helen. Let's pray. Father, as we look at Psalm 34 this morning, please remind us of things we have forgotten. Draw attention to ways in which we are falling short of what you want of us and help us to focus on you, your character and your acts. Amen. Psalm 34 is one of the best-known psalms, and it's frequently alluded to in the New Testament, uh, particularly frequently in the first letter of Peter. Uh, It's a psalm of King David, or, or rather it's a psalm of David before he became king, and the superscription here tells us that it related to the incident where he pretended to be insane before Abimelech. 
Now that uh, incident is recorded in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 21, and we're told that King Saul was seeking to kill David, and so David fled. He fled to Gath, but that was out of the frying pan and into the fire because Gath was a Philistine city. Worse still, it was the city of Goliath. And the people of Gath, doubtless, didn't feel particularly friendly towards the man who had killed Goliath and had then led the Israelites to a number of victories over the Philistines. And so they seized David. David's life was in danger, and he was terrified. And perhaps unsurprisingly, he called out to God. We know he did that because it's in our Bibles as Psalm 56. And and it's worth me just giving you a few extracts from that so that you can see how David felt. He begins like this. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. All day long they twist my words, all their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Record my misery, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? David was desperate, and in his desperation, he devised a ploy, which involved feigning insanity before Abimelech. And it worked. He was able to escape, go back to the south of Israel where he could hide from King Saul. And it was there, or soon after, that he wrote this psalm, Psalm 34. So that's the background. What about the psalm itself? Well, the first thing to note is that David attributed his deliverance to God and not to his cunning ploy. You see, he said here, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. That's verse 4. Verse 6, this poor man, him, called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. He knew that the king of Gath could have killed him, sane or insane. Or he could have put him, believing him insane, in a cage and hung him up in public for the public to be amused. They did that kind of thing. But he didn't. And David recognised that it was God who had enabled his ploy to succeed. And so he praised God and said he would always do so. That's how the psalm begins. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And I'd suggest there are two things for us in that. First of all, like David, we need to recognise the hand of God in our lives. God created all things, and that includes us. God's in control of his creation, and thus he oversees our lives. To to attribute our successes or our deliverances to our own endeavours or otherwise to the hands of people is shallow thinking. It's superficial, and we really mustn't do that. Uh, By the way, if you struggle with that concept... Please be brave enough just to contact Andy 
or me or one of the other leaders just to talk it through because it should be foundational to the way in which we see our lives. It was for David. We need to see the hand of God in our lives. That's the first point. The second is actually obvious. When we do that, we should thank God and we should praise God. Do you remember what Paul said this to the Philippians? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, as we've said before, none of us do that as often as we should. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I was painfully aware of it. It's jolly difficult to stand up here and talk to other people when you know you fall into the very same trap. We, we all need to ask ourselves why that is. And if you think about it, it's, it's a bit curious. Because it's very natural for human beings to uh, give thanks for something they enjoy or positively appreciate. We, we do it without thinking. Think about it. If somebody gives you something you really want, what do you do? You don't think about it. You thank them, don't you? Unless you're particularly ungrateful. <laughs> but, but you do, don't you? So why, why don't we do that with God? I'd suggest there are two possible reasons. There are probably others, but two main ones. First of all, it's possible we just don't recognise what God's doing in our lives. And as I said previously, we just need to pay more attention. But second, it may well be that we don't appreciate either the significance of of what's happening, or perhaps we don't value it. Perhaps I could give a rather banal example. Um, Imagine someone gave me, one of you gave me, a 1916 edition of the Wisden Cricket Almanac. I think you've just made my point for me. You see, I would really thank you for that profusely. And I would be full of praise for your generosity. But I suspect if someone gave most of you here a 1916 edition of Wisdom, your reaction would be somewhat different, wouldn't it? So, yeah, I know. Uh, So... What what would account for that difference? Well, you see, I would know that the 1916 edition of Wisdom is very rare indeed, and it contains the obituary of W.G. Grace, the famous cricketer, and I would really value that. But I suspect if you got it, you think it was a scruffy old book of no value, you wouldn't appreciate its significance, and even if somebody told you what I've just told you, I can see from your faces that most of you would think... I don't value it. The question is, do we treat God's gifts in the same way? We need to ask ourselves whether we do that. And we need to focus both on recognising them and on making sure we really think about their significance and really value those gifts. And if we do, we will find we spontaneously praise God for them. Let's go back to the psalm. The second thing to note about the psalm is that David wanted, was was determined to make sure everyone knew about what God had done for him. Uh, If you've noticed, this psalm is not a vertical psalm. It's not addressed to God. 
It's not a prayer. It's horizontal. It's addressed to other people. David was bearing witness to what God had done for him. And we're called upon to do the same thing. This is 1 Chronicles 16. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. In fact, that's part of our purpose as Christians. 1 Peter 2.9, which, which, as I pointed out previously, does allude to this psalm. You'll remember part of it. You're a chosen priesthood, a holy nation, etc. A chosen people, I'm sorry, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation. But it actually says this. You're a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's part of our purpose as Christians to do that. And again, it shouldn't be a burden because actually telling other people about what interests us, what excites us, what we find wonderful and praiseworthy is a natural thing. The world is full of people doing just that. I came home yesterday afternoon and I immediately told Joanna what had happened at the valley yesterday afternoon, where if you haven't heard, Charlton won one nil. The, the point is, we do it naturally. The world is full of people praising sports events, telling others about concerts, television programs, cars, books, wine. So why is it that we're so reluctant to tell people about God and God's actions? It's a question we really have to ask ourselves. And of course, one reason might be, back to my first point, that we don't recognise what God's doing, or we don't don't understand the significance or value it. But you might well say, actually, that's not my problem. And, and, And actually, when I was thinking about it, it's not mine either. One problem you may have is that you may worry that other people won't be interested in hearing about what God has done in your life. And that may be based on experience of telling people about secular things. Earlier in the summer, I was praising and uh, enthusing about the glories of Zach Crawley's cover drive. And sadly, Joanna's reaction was not all that I might have hoped for in relation to that. She was bored come on, we're talking about the acts of God, not Zach Crawley's uh, cover drive. All Christians should be interested in hearing about what God is doing, and most actually are. And if you've got no one else to tell, come and tell me about it. It encourages us, doesn't it? When we talk to one another about what we've seen God's doing, it encourages us, and we shouldn't allow this fear to hold us back. Of course, there may be something else that that might hold you back. You might be worried that talking in this way will focus on you and your life and may appear a bit self-centred or even a roundabout route of praising yourself. And I suspect um, some of us, perhaps many of us, have experienced other people doing that when we've sort of thought, hang on a moment, are you really praising God or are you actually drawing attention to what you've just done? It is a danger, but it's not a danger that should stop us doing what we're told to do, which is tell other people about what God's doing. We need to be aware of it as we speak, but, 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 but it shouldn't stop us. It didn't stop David. He didn't fall into that trap. 
and, and, and we need not fall into it either. Next point. Did you, did you notice that David didn't just tell other people about what God was doing? He expected them to rejoice with him. Verse 2, I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together, he said. Which is, of course, incidentally what we do when we come together this morning. But, 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 but why was it that David said that? Well, I think there were two things. First of all, part of it was that he expected that they would share his joy, that they would rejoice and praise God for what God had done for David. But but there's something more. David recognised that what had happened to him flowed from God's character and was typical of the way in which God works and was therefore applicable to other people. Take a look at verses 15 and following. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Then skip on to verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. There are two quite simple things to take away from this part of what David did. First of all, we should rejoice not only, and praise God, not only for what he's done in our lives, but for what he's done in other people's lives. We should join together in praising God for what he is doing. But second, we should base our lives on the unchanging character of God Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 13, 8. And And therefore, we should expect that God's acts in our lives would be consistent with his acts in David's life, or indeed in the lives of uh, all sorts of other people who we read about in the Bible. Not the same, because our circumstances are different but consistent with those things. Where are we? Let's go back to the, to the, uh, to the psalm. I'm sorry about that. Where are we? Yes. Now, I suspect there's an issue which may have occurred to a number of you and which I really need to address And it's this, did David go a little bit over the top in relation to what he was saying? Go go to verse 19. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Really? Is, is, Is that true? Don't bad things happen to good people? Haven't Christians been killed and others been persecuted? Now, I I addressed that question some months ago when we were looking at Psalm 119. And as I said then, all of those questions are right and, and understandable, but they misunderstand the depth of David's faith and his confidence in God. You see, David had a tough life himself. He suffered a lot in his life. He was suffering continually. Even as he wrote the psalm, Saul was still chasing him and trying to take his life. 
and he saw his friends and companions suffer. In this psalm itself, he acknowledges the righteous person may have many troubles. David wasn't thinking about that. You see, David was utterly confident that God was in control. Uh, Could the king of Gath have killed him? Yes, he could, but only if God allowed it. Uh, Could other bad things happen to him? Yes, but only to the extent that God allowed it. And what's more, he knew that God was good. He would have understood entirely what Paul wrote a thousand years later. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Of course, David did not know Jesus. But we can tell from what he writes in the Psalms that he would immediately have related to what uh, Jesus said in the upper room at the Last Supper. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I know I've quoted that any number of times here, but it's so important to remember it. Not least because it is the reason why we should, as we're called upon to do, praise God in all circumstances. Having fiddled around with my papers, I haven't got the quote in front of me now. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's it's as we sang earlier, uh, one of our early hymns, about uh, we'll, we'll praise when the sun's shining on us, and we'll praise in the hard times as well. Now, I know that some of you find that tough. I suspect all of us find it tough, but some of you have told me you find that particularly tough, indeed in some cases impossible. And if you are in that category, then I'd suggest you bear in mind three really important things. First of all, we're called to praise God in all circumstances. We're not called to praise God for all circumstances. We're not called upon to praise God for evil that happens. We're not called upon to praise God for the Ukraine war or evil things that happen in your lives. We are, however, called to praise God in those circumstances. And we can do that, first of all, if we remember, like David, that God is in control. I've told you these things, so in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We need to remember that. And secondly, we can praise God because he is good. And we should remember that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Finally, there's one bit of the psalm that you may have noticed I haven't yet mentioned. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 
You see, what we've been talking about over the last 20 or so minutes is not simply uh, a selection of doctrinal points or abstract theological propositions. It, it, it's things that we're meant to experience and live out in our lives. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste, experience, put your trust in God and then see him working in your life. Fear the Lord, you holy people. Bow down in front of God in awe and reverence and be so concerned about your relationship with him that it puts all other things into proper perspective. And as part of that, of course, obey God. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And as we're doing all of that, we have to keep in mind the, the enormous, huge significance of the goodness of God. And, and it's with that that David ended his psalm, verse 21. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. God is good and therefore God is just and will hold to account those who do evil. God is good and therefore is gracious and therefore no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Therefore, as Paul was to say again a thousand years later, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Let's praise God in all circumstances. Amen.